0: Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Last week we started the series and learned that we live life in combination with Christ. Paul says in Galatians, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And we also learned last week that in some sense, we died with Christ on the cross. Maybe that's part of Paul's mystery of the gospel, but the fact is our old lives were crucified, our old nature done. And Paul says, therefore, it is no longer I who live, it's not me, but Christ who lives in me. And so, therefore, the Christian life is not one that is lived in isolation, Christian life is not one that's lived by yourself. You live in combination with Christ. But Also we are partners in combination. Today we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Philippians. What about Philippians? Just a quick overview. First of all the author is the Apostle Paul and this is part of what's called the prison epistles. So the uh, Apostle Paul wrote it. It was written somewhere around 61 to 62 AD. Uh, Scholars are varied on this but those are Pretty good ballpark numbers. I believe he wrote this from Rome, not Caesarea, not any other place, at least as I've discovered. The theme is living the Christian life. And you'll note in here, Paul starts with this, actually in the in the first chapter. He starts with the idea of the Christian life, and it's quite beautiful what he writes. Now, why he wrote it was to express a gratitude for a love offering that the Philippian church had given to him. Now, when you look at the epistle in a, as, a, as a whole, the word joy is used four times by the Apostle Paul. The word rejoice or rejoicing is used eight times by the Apostle Paul. And the word glad or gladness is used three times. So one thing we have to realize in light, of, in light of the fact that we have the Holy Spirit, we live in combination with Christ, is the fact that the Apostle Paul is joyful even in the midst of struggle. And that should be the apex of the Christian life, joy in the midst of tri- uh, trials and tragedies and hardship. And oftentimes, oftentimes, including myself, we fail, don't we? When uh, troubles come along, situations come along, we lose our joy. And the Apostle Paul here is going to write beautifully to the the church at Philippi. And uh, not only with the undercurrent of his joyfulness, but his thankfulness for them. And we'll get into that. First of all, Paul tells us that we are partners in the gospel. And he begins with prayer. And by the way... (laughs) Prayer is vitally important to the Christian life, right? I thank God in all my remembrance of you. To thank means to express gratitude, but specifically this gratitude is to God. Now, Paul was in prison. Uh, There's no easy way to spin that. And yet, even in the midst of this, the Apostle Paul is coming outside of his own circumstance and situation, and he's saying, I thank God for you. I like what Lehman Strauss says here. Nowhere in the religious writings of the world outside the Bible does one find evidence of inner peace and praise under such provocation. The reason is obvious. No religion outside of Christianity can produce a transformation of one's life equal to that of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. The fact is, our faith and our Christian walk is not based in our circumstances. Paul and James, I it all joy, my brethren, when I fall into various trials of many kind, The fact is, the Apostle Paul here is giving us a glimpse, if you will, by thanking them even though his situation is not favorable to himself. The mere thought of the Philippian church transformed his own circumstance into a period of joy. Uh, We need to spend, this, this is one thing that stuck out to me, we need to spend time praising God. And I know, I know, I get it. I fully understand it. When you're going through hardships and trials, it is difficult to do that. But next time a situation or a trial comes up, this is what we should all be doing. We should be thanking God. Thanking God, not only for our salvation, not only for our sanctification, but for our friends and our family. Uh, Give him thanks and gratitude. God inhabits, listen to this, God inhabits the praise of his people. And so the Apostle Paul, right up front, he says, I thank God in all my remembrance of you. So whenever the Apostle Paul was thinking about them, he immediately thanked God. That's a good lesson for us as well. And he goes on to say, also in every prayer for all of you, making my prayer with joy. Diocese is the word prayer here, and it, it, really, it really means an urgent response to a presumed need. So, obviously, the Apostle Paul saw a need, and he immediately prayed for these people. And it, it, was, not just, it was not just a prayer, it was a state of joyfulness. He says that I, I pray this with all joy. Now there's three things that we can learn from the Apostle Paul's prayer life right here. By the way, we should be doing this a lot. We should be doing it a lot more than we do. I want all of us to grasp around this thought that that gratitude to God and prayer go hand in hand. Even though at times we fail miserably. And if you've ever let circumstance situations overcome you, it's easy to do, I want to pull us back this morning. Paul's prayer life was ongoing. It wasn't that he just prayed at the kitchen table, it wasn't that he just prayed on Sunday, or that he just prayed on Friday. The Apostle Paul had an ongoing prayer life. You cannot have a joyful spirit if you are not thanking God and praying at all times. It, it, it's, it's like that's the lifeline. It is like that is the life source for how we get our joy because we live in combination with God through Jesus Christ in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So we are constantly thanking him and we are praying to him. And of course, all of this helps us rise above our circumstances and situations in life. So it really does become uh, vitally important. And the Apostle Paul, you know, I, I could just see him the Apostle Paul, just a spirit of prayer constantly. It doesn't mean that when you're driving the car, you have to bow your head and shut your eyes. Don't do that, please. But it does mean that we have a spirit of prayer. You know, I know this sounds silly, but uh, the other day when I was at Walmart, I stopped. It's that place where you're getting ready to leave Walmart and you make a left, and there was a little... Goose. Sitting there. And she has been sitting on that nest. If you've been down to Walmart any recently. She's been sitting on that nest. And I stopped the car. There was nobody behind me. So I had a minute. I took a picture of that little goose. And I prayed for that goose. Now that may seem silly to you. But I just I just felt the need and this is the kind of thing that what I'm trying to drive at is that there should be a spirit of prayer in our life at that time I was thinking about that silly little goose sitting there the mother on her eggs and I was not worried about my own stuff that's what the apostle Paul did he simply just thanked God you know Lord I know this situation looks rough but you know what I'm going to thank you for what is going on in my life and for my friends, and I'm going to continue to pray. It was relational, too. Not only was his prayer ongoing, it was relational. He prayed for others. He says it right here. Always in every prayer for you all, making my prayers with joy. Make a list... And again, let me just say, it is easier said than done, I realize. But when you're living your Christian life this week, put others on the prayer list. Put yourself over here. There, there's just something, many of you know this, when you give gifts to somebody, doesn't it do your heart good to give gifts, right? You would, you would rather give it than, than get it? Well, I want you to think about the same principle in prayer. It is better to give prayer than to get prayer for yourself. That doesn't mean that people can't pray for you, but it does mean that you've got to get beyond your own world to pray for others. There are people, there are Christian people in our lives today that are hurting that could really benefit from prayer. And I know that when we pray for people, that prayer transcends space and time, and it does make a difference in the life of the individual. Because I've had people email me and say, Pastor, I'm praying for you. And I go, boy, do I feel it. Right? It, there's, there's something supernatural that, that, that takes place. And it was also in a state of joy. He moves on from here to talk about the fellowship. Because of your partner, well, he goes on to say why, actually. This is why he's joyful, why he's praying. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. now this word, I know you'll know this word when I say it. It's kwanonia. It's quantania, which really refers to a close association with somebody in a fellowship. Kenneth Woos says the word fellowship and originally means joint participation in a common interest and activity. This was the Philippians' joint participation with Paul in the common interest and activity, that of preaching the gospel. Let me say this two reasons the church exists. Two primary reasons that we exist today. One is to worship God. And the other is to share the gospel. Two important things that we do, to worship God and to share the gospel. And the Apostle Paul is saying here, look, uh, you've been a partner with me in the gospel, but this is not an easy fight. The Apostle Paul will go on to say that this world is not friendly towards us, and he goes on to say this in Philippians 127, then whether I come to see you or hear about only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. This is a tough road, folks. This is a Tough way to live, but since we live in combination with Christ, and since we live in combination with one another, it is time to come together. We do not live as individual superstars in the church. We are collectively the body of Christ. We are one man in Christ, yet we have many functions, and we have a responsibility to encourage and help one another as we struggle through this life and as we share the gospel message. That's fact. And the Apostle Paul could look at this Philippian church and says, look, I want you to stand firm because you live in combination with one another. Whether we like it or not, This is the body of Christ. What we have here today is the body of Christ and we help one another and we minister to one another and we push forward loudly the call of the cross. And the cross says, come to Christ so that you may be be saved and that at that moment the person can then begin joining with us in the praise of God. But Paul says this, because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. 10 years. Roughly 10 years that the apostle Paul had been involved with the church at Philippi. That first day, do you know what the first day was? The first day was in when they received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That was the first day. And guess what? You and I have a first day. Right? Mine was October 12, 1981, when an army chaplain led me to saving faith in Christ. That was my first day. That's what we call born again. Born anew. That was my first day. I know there's many first days out here. Because I've, I've heard your stories, how Christ had come in and changed your life. But it's, it's from the first day until now. They were partakers in the gospel. They did not quit. They did not give up. They, they, they stayed the course. They kept pushing forward. Now, we are partakers in the gospel in work that God will continue God will continue it. I love this. Verse 6 is wonderful. He says, I am sure of this. Paul is convinced of something. He is convinced of something. That he who began a good work in you. Let's stop. in Inarchomai. Inarchomai means to begin. And it means to begin a relationship. So from the first day till now, the Apostle Paul comes back and he says that he who began that first day work in your life. Now, I'm not going to unveil the rest of this at this particular moment, but what that, first, what that beginning point meant. I like what Paul wrote in Galatians 3. Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being perfected in the flesh? That's the same word Paul uses here in a different tense. In a different form, but it's exactly the same word. The Apostle Paul says this life is lived in combination. It's a spirit-filled life. You, you start at that point. You don't live your Christian life in the flesh trying to uphold some laws and rules and regulations that you can't do. Paul here is saying that he who began, who started not an not a, a external relationship, but an internal relationship. When you were born again, you were made new. Old has gone. New has come. You're a brand new life. You began. You may have been born at. Paul says this in Galatians 2. You may have been born physically. But you need to be born spiritually. Because without that spiritual birth. You got problems. And so. He says, he that began a good work. I love what Newt Larson said here, my friend. There is a beginning to our combination with life. No one is always a Christian. <laughs> I've heard people say I was born a Christian. Well, maybe born again a Christian, but you, you, know, people that are born in the church, uh, they sometimes forget that they gotta be saved. It's not that they grew up in church that makes them a Christian, it's Jesus Christ and him crucified and the Holy Spirit dwelling in you that makes you a Christian. So he says no one is always a Christian. The combination of living life together with Christ or his Spirit is not an automatic way of life. In my first church I had a deacon who had been a deacon for over 10 years in the church one Sunday Uh, he said he had walked the aisle and he finally got it, that he needed to be saved. And he was a deacon in the church and he got saved. One of the sweetest men you'd ever want to meet. But he got saved. And he goes, wait a minute. I've been churchianity, not Christianity. And he got saved. It is, you know, and the Apostle Paul here says that there has to be a beginning spot. There has to be a beginning point. And he says at that moment... He began a good work. Notice, not outside of you, but in you. He began a good work. The word good here refers to moral qualities, <clears throat> excuse me, which is a, a picture of the old nature being crucified, which we looked at last week, and God instilling in us good moral qualities. So there's a transformation that takes place. But look at this next word. This is awesome. He who began a good work, Ergon, a good work. Do you know what that word means? A task. You are a task of God. What does that suggest? Somebody gives you a task at work. They say, I want you to go do this. You, you get the task and you go do it. The task is for God to transform us into the image of his son. We do that in combination with him. And isn't that not wonderful? That he who began something in your heart, now God sees it as a task that he will do. He is at work in your life. Whether you see it or not, He is at work. And not only is God at work, but... Look at this. Watch this. He that began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ. The word completion... Means to bring an activity to a conclusion. That day that you gave your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. Such a wonderful day. And you struggle. And you hurt. And life goes up and down, up and down. All the while, God is pulling you towards the finish line. <laughs> you don't have to worry about God. He will finish what he started in you. I recently read a, a marathon magazine By the way, I have run a marathon. It was 25 miles. That was when I was very young. (laughs) And uh, it was very difficult. I I trained for three months for this marathon. And we started with roughly 50 guys, and I think we finished with 10. And by the grace of God, I crossed the finish line. And like I said, there weren't many of us left, but I crossed the finish line. They wrapped us up, and I looked like a, a burrito wrapped up. They put these... These uh, aluminum-looking foil things around us, and I crossed that, that finish line. But uh, one, of the, one of the things in the article was this. What kept you going for 25 miles? This is how they, re- how they responded on this survey. The number one thing that kept them going was water. The number two thing that kept them going was encouragement. Encouragement. And the number three thing that kept them going was knowing that there was a finish line. Do you see the three elements of the Christian faith there? The Holy Spirit is the water, the living water inside of us. We, the combination life, encouraging, keep going, Vince. Keep moving forward. Keep running, John. Keep going. You encourage not as we are running together. That was one thing that I did as I ran in that marathon. I kept encouraging people even though I was struggling myself. And when I started falling back, they would encourage me. That will keep you going. Just encouragement. Come on. Keep going. Keep pushing. Become cheerleaders of one another but then to remind ourselves of the fact that there is a finish line out there and one day we will cross that finish line into the kingdom of God and we will behold Jesus Christ, our Savior, face to face. Mm. I love what Martin Luther, the great Reformed theologian, said. He said, there are only two days that matter, today and that day. Let me encourage you as your pastor When it gets heavy, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward in your Christian walk. (laughs) This was written a long time ago, but it's so wonderful. There are only two days that matter. Today, today you keep struggling for the cause of Christ, and that day when you see Christ. Hmm. Don't quit, brothers and sisters. Do not give up. Keep moving forward. Keep moving closer. God is with you, and we are with you as a body of Christ. We will encourage one another, uh, and we will not... We will not allow negativity to come in here. We are going to encourage and run the race set before us. That's what we need to do, and that's what we need to get back to doing, and and just keep moving forward. I guess that's the one thing I want to say today. Keep moving forward and encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ to continue the race. All of this is based on love. Now notice what the Apostle Paul writes here. He says, it is right. (laughs) It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. Cardia is mentioned here, but also the word hold is mentioned here. And the word hold, listen to this. Look up here. The word hold means to possess. Do you see the the kindred fellowship there? Paul is holding them just like he would a biological member of his family. And by the way, do you know that we are (laughs) blood-related? We are blood-related by the blood of Jesus Christ. He holds them in his heart, cardia, which is inner self, thoughts, emotions, and feelings. Reminds me of what Jesus said. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Not an option. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Love is a self-sacrificing word. What it means is that I am going to put the needs of others above my own needs. Hey, wait a minute. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He put your need and my need above himself. Willingly went to the cross and Jesus says, look, As I have loved you, look to the cross. As I have loved you, you go out and you love others. And you particularly love one another in the body of Christ because we are blood related. We have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Praise God. And we love others the way that he loved us. This is something that's, um, well, this is really something. I think this is right. I think women are much better at showing their and sharing their emotions with people than men are. Guys, we need to change that. When we see a brother in Christ, we need to let them know that we love them. I've heard it real men don't cry. And young men are raised with that. Young, we don't cry. We don't, we don't show our emotions. Look at who is writing this epistle. One of the greatest apostles ever. And that's just because I have a little bias towards him. But I love all the apostles. But the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest prolific writers of the New Testament, is saying, Guys, I hold you in my heart. He is sharing his feelings with those around him. I'm going to say this. I love you guys. And you know why I love you? Because I know that you love Jesus, and I know that you try to do the work for Christ. I know that. We got to do better at sharing our feelings. Is it, is it too much of a stretch Let me just see if this is too much of a stretch here. To tell a brother, men particularly, women, you get a buy on this, I think you're much better again. Men, is it a stretch to tell another brother in Christ that you love him? And it is even a further stretch to maybe hug that brother. You know what I see here. What I see here is if the apostle Paul saw them, wouldn't even be a question, because he loved them. This is what I see pouring out of the of the apostle Paul. And I think I don't want you to do it fakely, but men, really, when you when you have another brother in Christ, just say, "Look, I love you, and I want to pray for you. Give him a hug." I think that's what real men do. I'm gonna tell you as your pastor, it is okay to reach out, tell a brother or sister in Christ that you love them, we shouldn't be doing that. You know, in the ancient church they used to greet each other with a kiss. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> Except me uh and if I wasn't a pastor, my wife might be suspicious. Because sometimes when at the end of the sermon, I'm at the back door and you ladies are coming by, I get makeup all over me, I get lipstick. And I could see where my wife might think, Whoa, what's going on? No, but it, it it's all right. It's all right. It's all good. <laughs> For now, it's good. <laughs> hey, love each other. Love each other like you love your own family, because we are family. Forget the bloodline. I'm going to tell you. Sometimes, sometimes your spiritual family is much better than your physical family. Yeah, I see. I'll be agreeing with that, right? Yeah, I know. I would put you guys and gals up against anybody. I can say that with a truthful heart this morning. Because God always checks my heart. I'd put you up against anybody. Paul's love. is also support. I've actually, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed this sermon. I don't say that very often about anything I preach, but. I have felt God moving through me this morning. I don't say that like I've thoroughly enjoyed, you know what I mean. I've thoroughly enjoyed God. I can feel Him. I can sense Him this morning. For you are all partakers. We've seen that word again. Life in combination. We are all partakers with me of grace. Grace. Martin writes, partakers with me of grace carries the meaning of God's strength, made available to his people in their weakness. Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says, when I am weak, I become strong. Silva says this, the apostle has in view here, therefore, not divine grace in general, but the Philippians specific identification with And support of his gospel ministry. In other other words, this this uh, partakers of the grace is the gospel. It is the gospel, and it's a tough mission. And the apostle Paul says, you've been partakers with me in the gospel message. We support one another, encourage, exalt each other, lift each other up, encourage one another, particularly as the day is drawing near. And Paul says that too, as the day is drawing near, lift each other up, encourage, keep running, keep fighting, keep sharing the gospel. I know people aren't going to accept it readily, and they may even push back on you, but Stay the course. And they did. Because the Apostle Paul says, For you are all partakers with me of grace, notice, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 12:9 But my grace is sufficient for you my power is made perfect in your weakness therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me We keep sharing it keep sharing it we struggle We have hard times in ministry. It's tough. I I know that. When it's tough, keep going. Usually, what happens is when it's tough and we keep going, we usually get the wind behind us at some point. And it gets better. Conclusion Number one pray for one another i think it's important pray for one another remind us again that, that paul's in prison he's thinking outside of himself we need to practice that i know, i know we hurt and there's nothing wrong with taking our hurts to god but 47 things on our side of the ledger and one thing on the person around us is probably not good. Maybe reverse that trend. Pray for Jim and Sally and John. I know he has surgery coming up this week. and uh, Get outside of yourself. And in so doing, you're actually ministering to your own heart. Again, it's tough, I realize. Secondly, know that God has your life. He does. He does. His word says it. I probably need this more than anybody. Uh, He that began a good work in you will bring it to completion. God has it. You can trust it. Matter of fact, you can nail it down. God has your life. He knew the day that you would trust it in Christ, and he knows the day that you will see Christ. He knows that day. You don't have to worry about that day. That day's covered. Oh. Isn't, that, isn't that just something wonderful to know? And it removes such a weight off of us that, you know what? It may not look good now, but. God causes all things to work together for good according to his purpose and plan for our life. Let me encourage you with that this morning. God has your life. He will not let go of you. He's there with you. And he is guiding you to the day that you see Jesus. Stay the course. How many times did I say that during the sermon? At least four. Now five. Stay the course. Keep moving forward. And lastly, love others. Love others. Maybe you need to work on these areas. We all do. I'd encourage you this morning to go to God. Ask him to help you. To move and navigate through these. And just remember we are not alone we live in combination with christ and we live in combination with one another